We commence today's show with the escalating war in the Middle East between Hamas and Israel as Israel's ground offensive begins. Please be joined by the director of the new internationalism project at the Institute for Policy Studies, Phyllis Bennis. Phyllis, good to have you back. How are you today? Well, it's a rough day, Tavis, but I'm really glad to be here with you. No, it is a rough day, and I'm glad to have you here. Um, nobody uh, I'd rather talk to than you, uh, at least to start this program about this particular issue. Let me just start broad, uh, and we'll uh, we'll narrow as we move through uh, through our time together. Uh, what's your read on where things stand, where things are at this moment? This is an incredibly dangerous moment. The war against people, ordinary people in Gaza, is escalating massively not against Hamas, as the Israelis have put it. Uh, they're saying this is all in retaliation for the terrible actions, the horrific uh, actions that Hamas militants took last week on Saturday when over a thousand Israelis were killed in incredibly cruel ways, including elders and babies and families. It was a horrific act. And we've, we're seeing, in response to that, a massive Israeli war using U.S. supplied weapons paid for, 20% of it is paid by our tax money, against the entire population of Gaza, which is 2.2 million people, half of whom are under the age of 18, children who in their short years of life have known at least five wars already. And now with this order to evacuate all of the northern half of the Gaza Strip, that's over a million people, Tabith who live in this overcrowded little scrap of land. They're being forced south where there are no, uh, no, no possible ways that they can get any kind of support. There's no housing. There's no medical care. The hospitals have shut down. The Israelis have cut off all water, electricity, food, and fuel to the entire Gaza Strip. The hospitals say they will be closing both in the north and the south within hours because their their uh, outside generators are running out of fuel. And in the meantime, the bombing is continuing. 2,750 Palestinians so far that are known have already been killed in the bombings this week. And that doesn't count the 1,000-plus that are known to be missing and that are buried among the rubble mm -hmm. of the massive destruction that's been called. So we're looking at a looming really a looming genocide, and I use that word very carefully and very advisedly because of what international law says about genocide. And we're looking at a desperate, desperate need for a ceasefire. Yeah. That's the bottom line. We need a ceasefire now on all sides. Yeah. On um, all sides. Given that Hamas is the elected governing authority, how would you respond to folk who say then that the Palestinian people brought this on themselves? You know, it's a very complicated situation. The election that people refer to was held back in 2006. The Hamas leadership was elected for four years, as was the case in the West Bank, where Fatah was elected for four years. Mm -hmm. Neither the West Bank nor uh, Gaza have been able to hold elections for more than 17 years. So it's a completely illegitimate government. There's no question about that, and has very little support. Mm -hmm. Any notion that people, ordinary people, should be punished for the actions of a government, legal or illegal, legitimate or illegitimate, the actions of others, amounts to collective punishment. Mm -hmm. And that's a war crime. Yeah. When Hamas killed ordinary Israeli families, that was a war crime. It was also collective punishment. This is collective punishment carried out by a state which the United States government claims is our closest ally in the region. 
and they're doing it with our money and our weapons and our president refusing to call for a ceasefire. Not just call, not just refusing to call for a ceasefire, but uh, if we ought to read, read uh, to believe, rather, the reports that we are reading, uh, Joe Biden may be making a visit to Israel. Uh, we, For all we know, these things happen under the cover of darkness oftentimes. But everything I'm reading, and I'm sure Phyllis is reading the same thing and more, suggests that President Joe Biden, in the middle of all this, may be on his way to Israel uh, to make a visit uh, on top of his comments, on top of the stuff we're sending them uh, to support uh, this war, uh, he may be actually headed to Jerusalem. Uh, when we come forward, I want to get straight to this 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 uh, distinction that the president and his secretary of state, Antony Blinken, continue to try to make. And I'm not sure it's working. They keep trying to draw this line between Hamas and the Palestinian people that Hamas is not the Palestinian people. Uh, I'm not sure that distinction is working. We'll get Phyllis's take on that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. May first daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Phyllis Bennis, um, the administration keeps making this point uh, time and time again, whether out of the mouth of Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, or the President of these United States, Joe Biden, and others, uh, making the point that Hamas is not the Palestinian people. You uh, detailed uh, quite nicely a moment ago how this election cycle, or lack thereof, frankly, has worked uh, inside of uh, Palestine. Uh, but what do you make of this distinction between Hamas and the Palestinian people, uh, and whether or not that distinction is working? Well, I think there's no question, Tavis, that the elected leadership from 2006, which has been sort of governing in Gaza, despite the fact that Israel actually controls the besieged Gaza Strip, before this new siege was imposed, we should realize Gaza was under a siege for 16 years, where water, electricity were always in short supply, medicine, everything had to be approved piece by piece by piece by Israeli officials before it would be allowed into the Strip. No one was allowed out without an Israeli permit, and very few could get those permits. So that was the reality even before this recent crisis. There's no question that the governing forces, and Hamas is much more than just the militant wing. It has a political wing that has been, you know, a major political party in both the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, So it's much more than just the militant wing also. But there's no question that it does not it's, it does not equate to the Palestinian people as a whole or the, the Gaza population as a whole. Mm-hmm. The crucial point, though, I think, Tavis, is that it's not really the right question. Mm-hmm. The point is that even if every single person in Gaza supported Hamas, it would still be collective punishment to drop bombs that are destroying the lives and the, the infrastructure of, of a of a a city, a set of cities and towns of 2.2 million people, of whom 1.1 million are children. It doesn't matter who they support. If they were not involved in any acts of terrible violence as that that happened last Saturday, which clearly the overwhelming majority of the Gaza population was not in any way involved in that, it is collective punishment to be using bombing raids and and this level of really deathly uh, denial of things like water and electricity, where you have hospitals that need electricity for patients who are living by respirators. Without electricity, they will die. Mm. It is a death sentence. My friend Jesse Jackson has often said, uh, Reverend Jackson uh, more than once has opined, uh, that content without context is pretext. 
Only Jesse can say that. <laughs> that content without context is pretext. Um, what say you to those who always have these conversations uh, around the content of what's happening in real time, but that content often lacks context? And that's one of the arguments that the Palestinian people and those who defend them continue to make, that this conversation about right. the content of the now lacks content, lacks context, rather, about the then. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And my friend, Reverend Jackson, as well, I was on his show yesterday mm-hmm. talking about exactly that issue of context. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the issue is the context is also now. The context is not only the past. Yes. The context right now mm-hmm. is that there is a, a population in Israel that is still completely traumatized by these outrages that happened last Saturday. There is no question about that. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be taken very seriously. And those who carried out that, those horrific attacks need to be held accountable, brought to trial, whatever it takes. And, it's not but, but and, the context is also, the context of today is that Israel has now been bombing for 10 days against a population that did not carry out those horrific attacks and are continuing to die in enormous numbers. The latest figures are that somewhere over 2,750 Palestinians are confirmed dead. There's another 1,000-plus missing and presumably buried under the, the, the remains of the buildings that have been destroyed. And a quarter of them are children. Mm-hmm. Again, children dying again. That is the context of today. And it's for that reason that we need a ceasefire so desperately. There are still some Hamas rockets going into Israel. Thankfully, it appears that virtually none of them have done any damage and no one has been injured in recent days since the horrors of last weekend. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it's also true that those those uh, uh, rockets that are going in are also a violation of international law because they cannot be targeted at military targets. Yeah. And in that context, they are violating international law. So we need a ceasefire on all sides. We have to stop killing people, which is what is happening right now. Israel is killing people in the thousands as we speak. So that's the context, too. I I don't disagree with you about the ceasefire. Um, I think uh, people around the globe would, uh, I think, would welcome that. And yet, and I'm not not naive in saying this, as you well know, uh, and yet uh, you're calling for a ceasefire (laughs) as much as I respect it and agree with it. Uh, doesn't quite matter as much uh, as Joe Biden and other uh, world leaders calling for a ceasefire. And nobody's doing that right right now, Phyllis. So it's one thing to call for it, but how do you get to it if the right folk don't call for it? I think it could put the pressure on those folk. Mm -hmm. There was a a letter that was signed by 55 members of Congress on Friday, uh, led by Congresspeople uh, Jan Schakowsky and Mark Pocan. Mark Pocan is a heroic congressman who has spent time in the Gaza Strip He knows the situation there, and he's been talking to his other members of Congress. They have 55 signatures on a letter to President Biden urging that he press the Israelis to stop all violations of international law and to allow in humanitarian aid. That's a good first step, but it is by far not enough because they didn't explicitly say we need a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. Congress needs to be calling on the Biden administration People need to be calling on the Biden administration, calling into radio talk shows, writing letters to the editor, protesting outside the White House. There's a protest going on today, I think right now as we speak, 
uh, of Jews, Jews against genocide, saying we need a ceasefire now. That's the demand. It's a simple demand. It's clear. People can have all kinds of views about how to talk about it and what the discourse is and all those things, and those are important. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about the legacy of why violence like this would erupt from Gaza. All of that is important, but right now, the only thing that matters is a ceasefire. So anyone who has any access to influencers online, to members of Congress, to anybody with ties to the White House, the language should be, we need a ceasefire right now. Let me uh, let me leave the Middle East. Um, uh, not not really, but I want to come stateside for just a moment since you're talking about Congress and what uh, what ought to be done inside of Congress, um, putting pressure on them to pressure the president to call for a ceasefire. Let me just raise a couple of domestic issues here. So there was a, there was there there been any number of them, but this particular meme that I want to read to you was circulating everywhere this weekend. There were a number of prominent uh, American Jews who posted it, including the comedian uh, Amy Schumer. Uh, a lot of people were talking about this over the weekend. It popped up in my feeds countless times. Let me just read the language to you. It has, it's, it's written inside the Star of David, uh, the image of the Star of David. And it says, and I quote, First they came for LGBTQ, and I stood up, because love is love. Then they came for immigrants, and I stood up. Because families belong together. Then they came for the black community. And I stood up. Because black lives matter. Then they came for me. But I stood alone. Because I am a Jew. That meme was trending everywhere this weekend. Again, posted by a number of prominent Jewish Americans, including Amy Schumer. Uh, And I I raise it only to ask um, your comment on how the Jewish community in this moment, uh, some certainly are advancing this notion that they are the victims in this process and that nobody and that nobody is standing with them yeah you know jews around the world are mourning mourning the dead of 12 to 1300 innocent people who were killed in israel that's a reality mm-hmm. a horrifying reality and those jews in israel were victims of a terrible crime the notion that both those things that the, this meme claims, one, that somehow the, that, the, that the Jews stand alone simply flies in the face of how the media has treated this, how mm-hmm. government officials, particularly in this country, has 400 and I think 420-some-odd members of Congress, which means all but about 10, are sponsors of a resolution that simply says one, I I don't know the exact language, but it basically says, we stand only with Israel. Mm -hmm. It does not mention Palestinian casualties of this war. It does not express any concern about Palestinian civilians. It does not call out Israeli violations of international law. It does not say anything about the fact that the United States taxpayers are paying 20% of, of Israel's military budget. None of that. It simply says unequivocally, we stand with Israel and we will provide Israel with whatever they want and need to fight against this atrocity. The problem with that, of course, is again the issue of collective punishment, the issue of not distinguishing between combatant and civilian. There's a host of violations of international law here. The notion that somehow, I mean, those of us like myself who are Jewish, to believe that we stand alone is simply You know, that's never been the case. The reality is that there are plenty of people, including the Jews Against Genocide, who are today in front of the White House calling for a ceasefire. 
are saying everyone has been harmed by this and that we need to follow the, the trajectory, the call of the great union organizer, Mother Jones, who said, pray for the dead, mourn the dead, and fight like hell for the living. Mm-hmm. We have to do both those things. We have to hold in our hands both realities, yeah. that Israeli Jews were the victims of this particular horrific crime. And it's also true that Palestinians have lived under policies that amount to what Reverend Barber of the Poor People's Campaign calls policy violence, of policies of Israel that have themselves violated international law, violated the prohibitions on collective punishment, etc. So this notion that, one, the Jews are the only victims, and two, that the Jewish victims that certainly do exist somehow stand alone is simply... I think, a specious argument. Yep. i got three or four minutes left here uh, watching my time. I want to move to this. Since you mentioned the American media, you've just laid out quite nicely um, where the government stands, and there's no question about that. The president said uh, twice, we stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And to your point about those 420 members of the, of the House, who've also uh, essentially said the same thing. There's no question where the U.S. government stands. Um, you mentioned the media. Though. I want to come to the media right quick. There was a story that broke over the weekend. doesn't get a lot of play, and it would, won't surprise me when I tell you what I'm, what I'm talking about here. But there's a big story over the weekend that, that broke about MSNBC uh, having suspended the shows of three Muslim anchors amid the Israeli uh, war in Gaza. Um, sources have confirmed that uh, 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 Mehdi Hassan, I'm in Mohideen and Ali Velshi. I only know Ali Velshi of the three of them personally. Um, but the three of them were <clears throat> sort of taken out of their anchor chairs. There have been a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth about this. Um, MSNBC is sort of denying it, saying that they weren't taken out because of their comments, uh, because of uh, because of the war. But they, they all three sort of disappeared, as it were, um, uh, to some extent now, over the weekend. Um, and the story that's being that's being uh, talked about is whether or not this in part happened uh, because it primarily happened because of their uh, commentary or, or expected commentary about the the war uh, in, uh, in inside Palestine. My, my, my question is not so much to get into the weeds about that per se, although that's a significant story that isn't getting the kind of coverage I think it ought to get. But it does raise questions about the way the American media is handling this story and whether a network would literally take three Muslim anchors off the air in the middle of all this uh, for, for some unknown reason. I'm putting unknown in air quotes. That's a broad way of getting to a simple question, which is how do you read the way the American media is covering this potential, this, uh, this current conflict? I would say the brief version is the media coverage of this crisis has been significantly better than that of earlier uh, Israeli assaults on Gaza, earlier crises, earlier escalations uh, in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Having said that, it is still horrifyingly one-sided. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's no question that you know, during the week, I, I wasn't, I didn't have a chance to watch much television. I was rain, rushing around too much, mm-hmm. meeting with different people and whatever. But when I did, I did have on MSNBC a fair amount, and I was very pleasantly surprised at the even-handedness. They had U.S. officials, they had generals, they had former generals and present generals and Israeli officials, and they had significantly more Palestinian voices and critics of Israeli policy than I have heard before. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was three Muslim anchors who were the ones bringing on other voices. It's the combination of factors 
that I have no doubt played a role if, if they were indeed taken out of their anchor chairs. I confess I haven't watched much TV over mm-hmm. the weekend, sure. so I don't know that for, uh, firsthand, but I would have no doubt that would be true. So both things are true. It's much better than it used to be. The discourse shift at the public level has also reached the media over the last 20, 25 years. So, you know, the things that we see at the public level, yeah. the fact that in a, in a recent poll, 25% of American Jews say Israel is an apartheid state, those kinds of things have an impact on the media coverage. But it is still overwhelmingly one-sided. That is still true. I've got 30 seconds here. Um, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 10 being extremely hopeful, how hopeful are you that we will see a ceasefire anytime in the near future? Oh, dear. The near yeah. future, I would say two. Yeah. Medium term, maybe four, but I'm afraid too many people will die. The demand must be a ceasefire now, and I urge all of your listeners, call their members of Congress, call their friends on the, on the L.A. City Council. Anyone with a microphone should be calling for a ceasefire on all sides. This is not one side or the other. We need to stop the killing on all sides. Yep. Uh, that advice uh, goes out to not just listeners in L.A., but Philadelphia and Chicago and New Orleans and Mississippi and all around the country where this program is heard. Uh, we uh, we hear the advice of the wise counsel of Phyllis Bennis, who is the director of the New Internationalism Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. Phyllis, good to have you back on this program. We'll do it again, I'm sure, as this uh, process sadly continues. Thanks for your time today, though. Thank you, Tim.